So for the second installment of our Hispanic Heritage series, we have Evelyn Rutia, the Executive Director at Tenants of Walter United. Welcome, Evelyn. Thank you for accepting the invitation. Tenants and Workers United, Evelyn's organization, is an organization that aims to secure sustainable systemic changes that advance equity through base building and leadership development. The fantastic work in building community-led campaigns and organizing low-income communities of color, low-wage workers, immigrant, women, and youth empower people to become change agents in their own life. So thanks again, Evelyn, and thanks to everyone attending the my talks. Evelyn, could you please tell us a little bit more about your heritage and background? Yes, of course. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Evelyn, and I am the Executive Director of Sense of United. I born and grew up in El Salvador. I am from um, a really small town in in a countryside of El Salvador. I immigrated uh, in the mid-90s when I was just only six, 16 years old. United States. So I'm very proud of my country, very proud of my culture. Um, but now I'm here and I have to adapt and I have been trying to adapt for this more than 20 years in this country. I am I a daughter of faces there. I'm sorry. I see some smiley faces that empathize completely with you. Trying trying to adapt to this society. Kind of hard, but getting there. Right. So Arlandria, where you live, it's a primary Latino community with a significant Salvadorian diaspora that call it Chililagua. And it's also a very active community in defending people's rights and looking for opportunities. How it is to grow and try to adapt, as you mentioned, in a place so entrenched uh, with a culture of mobilization and community support? It, it feels great. Um... It feels great to be part of that community. Uh, when I I immigrated, I was just only 16, coming into the United States with a really, um, basically not really good um, academic education for my own country because we were going through the civil war during that time. So just imagine a boy, a 16 years old, arriving to the United States at that time and just finishing high um, sixth grade level education in my country and just coming here and being put up in 10th grade because of my age it really make um being in that larger community really make a difference at that time and i relate to the community that we have now that arlandria chililawa is a unique place when you immigrate because the whole culture is there when you walk into the community you feel like in some way you are back home um and this is not just only for people like me from El Salvador, but also people in general from Central America. We have um, a really good population, a, a really big population from um, Guatemala at this moment and from Honduras. And, you know, coming in and finding the food that you like, finding the people that speak your language, finding that supporting place, I think is really important when you are from, coming from another country. 
And that's what you find in Arlandria at this moment. That's what you see in Chirilawa, right? The whole aspect of the community. Do we have challenges? Yes, but I think when you're coming as an immigrant and you don't bring anything and you have leave your loved ones behind, coming to a community that it really makes you feel you're back home is really important. And that's some of the pieces that are really unique to the Atlanta community. So I feel blessed that that was the play I landed when I, when I come in. I feel blessed that that's the play that I work. And I feel blessed to see the community on how they try to empower themselves and to ensure that there is future for them. How, how did you join Tenor Workers United? What made you decide to join? Um, as I'm mentioning, I was just only 16 years old with really low education background from my country. When I arrived, um, my mom, who just went to school and finished first grade, she was doing two jobs. She was doing cleaning office at night. She was also working at a hotel doing housekeeping during the day. And I just arrived without education. I didn't like school back home. And to be honest with you, there were not too many opportunities, especially during the civil war. It was sometimes school were closed for a whole month. So when I immigrated, the first thing I say was, I don't want to do what mommy do, right? It wasn't that I was that she, I was I was embarrassing of her work. I was I was basically admiring how hard she worked two jobs, making four twenty five, four fifty during that time. But I just was like, this is not a place for me, right? Like, I, if I immigrate and I cross the border, I have, to, I have to really do something for myself. And my mom say, well, you don't even didn't like school, so I will send you to this nonprofit so you can do community service and you can start getting adapted to it. And that's how I get into Tenants and Workers United. That was many years ago, maybe like 27 years ago. And I like it because it was a place that really made me feel like it was me. We were able to talk about the civil war in a different way, right? Because back home, you were not able to really talk about how it really impacted people like me who live in, in, the, in the countryside and how the, the politicians really play a role in our life. And we were just evading orders, right? Like we were just like, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But being in that place really opened my mind, uh, my eyes in so many ways. Um, not just only to see things differently, but also to adapt to how United States really works. Like who take decision, how they take decision, how beneficials are to us, right? Like how we can definitely, most of the time we come with that mentality and that was my mentality. I'm gonna be here for five years. But honestly, you know, we, we get into the communities, we get married, we get kids, and then those five years become 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and then we had a new generation coming aboard our kids. And all of that, it played a role on me when I get into the organization because I get to see that I'm here for five years, I better take advantage of this and learn what's going on in the United States, how the system works, and how I can be part of this community in a different way. Besides Tenant Workers United, it's a very storied organization, right? with roots back in the 80s, with the first wave of Salvadoran immigrants. And they have played a, a, a role in the redevelopment of Orlando. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that work? Uh, well, 
Yes, Talents and Workers United have been in the community for more than 35 years. And it was created because evictions was taking place during that time. People of color was being pushed out of the city. And our organization really organized the community to fight and create an affordable housing, um, housing co-op, and, and create a little bit be more like an environment for the families trying to keep the community together. Um, time has passed, 35 years have passed, and we still been facing same challenges, especially now more than ever, right? We have Amazon a mile away from our headquarters. We have Virginia Tech a mile away from our office, from this community, and Arlandia Chirilawa is a unique community. We stay the same way that it was back in the 90s, in the 80s. Um, it just have get bigger. We have more people living in, in this small community, but nothing has been redeveloped. And now with all these changes around, if we look at Arlington, we look at, you know, like South Delray, and we look at these areas in, in Alexandria, we can see what has happened with the working class, people of color, and unique community like Arlandria. And I, I think we're still working toward to preserve the community, but it will require a lot, not just only on money, but it will require a lot of new policy and be created from the city aspect to ensure that this community can functioning in the way that it is right now. How do you engage community? Because this started like a grassroots movement. And in 35 years, it has developed a lot. How did you engage the new generation? Um, we continue using a lot of the, the skills that we used to use 35 years ago. I think that's one of the skills that it really works, but it requires a lot of resources, which is door-to-door -door meetings, uh, having face-to-face -face conversation is really important because you build relationship providing support that the community need at the moment that they need it connecting them to resources that are up there but at the same time is building their knowledge about the changes that they want to create for the community right like how going from just getting a service like let's say you need support on paying your rent at this moment how you can look at that big vision of why we start being in that place on the first place, right? Mm -hmm. Why we were more at risk when we talk about that pandemic, why the economic situation has really affected us. So I think it's a lot of education that we are doing, but we continue using a lot of those tools that it take a lot of resources from the organization, which is door-to-door, community meetings, uh, a lot of leadership development to ensure that people understand the structural power, but also to understand the beneficial that it can be if they want to create changes in their community. Um, the whole idea is to really people to see ahead, not just only what we live in the moment right now. So we're using a lot of the old tools and new tools because we adapted really quick during the pandemic, right, to use Zoom, Hustle, uh, Facebook, and all of that. But I, I think at the long term, building relationship with people is what it has make us kind of unique doing that deep organizing and leadership development, and we continue doing that. You mentioned the, uh, the health emergency. During COVID, you were leading the demand for medical attention and testing in the area. I read some of the reports you published. What initiatives are you taking now to help residents with the aftermath? 
we we basically continue connecting them to the resources that are there, whether it's the vaccine or the testing, but we're also looking ahead. We know that um, COVID has really bring also a side effect to our community. We have to understand that most of our community members, they don't have no health insurance. We have to uh, basically work around those things that we want to see. And one of the pieces of the work that we have been uh, working around a lot as an organization is getting the Alexandra City Council to really put more funding into the healthcare, healthcare access for people who are undocumented, uninsured, um, to ensure that they get that, that support that they need. Uh, we have been working really close with the clinics, uh, with the health department, and connecting people. Ensure that we are aware of anything that is there that is good for the community and try to get the community to take advantage of those opportunities. But I, but I think it, it's key not just only to provide the services that are in place right now, but also to look for new services, right? Mm -hmm. We already know that we a lot of time we think that the pandemic is over, but honestly, our community are going through so much and the pandemic for them is just start. So how we ensure health insurance and, you know, and that's the thing that we trying to, through the ARPA funding, we're trying to ensure that governments, um, leadership officials fully understand that we cannot just think about now, we cannot just think about the vaccine and testing. We have to think beyond that and invest on that on the healthcare that we that our community needs. In that sense, you feel that a community so particular with 75% of Spanish speakers is adequately represented in the institutions? No. Um, we are not really good represented in, in the leadership that we have. If you would look at the school board, right? Um, if you would look at the city council, we are not well well represented. I think we do, we are a city that we have a lot of staff who are bilingual, but not necessarily we have people who represent us. And I think what is more important to all of this is that we don't have people who really see the issues the way we see it. Because we can have people who look just like me, but not necessarily advocating for the needs of the community. So I think we are underrepresented, but also we don't have that, that support that is needed. We don't have people with the knowledge or understanding of the, the needs of the community. One of the projects you're working is with the Alexandria City Public Schools. And it feedbacks to this last question because you've been working and pushing for a bilingual education. Could you elaborate more on that? Um, yes, our organization, as I mentioned before, we have been uh, working with youth, middle school and high school. When I come into the United States, they were already a youth group, okay? So I would say for decades, we have really focused on developing youth, youth leadership, and looking into their issues and see what they can do as students of color in Alexander Public Schools. So we have done a lot of work around um, bringing bilingual staff into the school, um, dual enrollment means teaching kids at the early age Spanish and in English in the same setting to, to ensure that our kids don't lose their, their you know, their part of their culture, which is the language. Uh, we have done a lot of work to ensure that our kids not just only graduate from high school, but have goals after high school. Um, trying to create a schools that are equipped 
um, to ensure to deal with students of color, right? There is a lot of issue going on when we talk about students of color not behaving in our schools and ending into the prison pipeline. So we have been doing a lot of work around that. I think it's it's a work that needs to be done. And we as an organization, our youth and our parents need to be in the, in the table of decision-making position at this moment, right? Because that, that the situation is really critical. We're not investing a lot on our classroom. We're not investing on health, um, mental health. We're not investing in the right programs. And we have, you know, a lot of our younger generation not getting that education that they need. Um, right now, as an organization, we're really focusing on trying to not just only look at the graduation rate, but let's see what we can do to improve the achievement gap, right? Mm -hmm. Not just looking about the academic piece, but let's look about the whole um, school culture and climate. Uh, how the school look are really important, so how the student will feel, especially the Black and Latinx students in the school. How this connects with your other initiative, the Community Organizing and Education for Democracy? How these two initiatives tie together? I'm sorry, what was that question? Like all the efforts that you're making towards education, how do they connect with the community organizing and education for democracy, the other initiative that your organization has? It, it, it is really aligned. Uh, the co-ed, what we call the co-ed, it was a program that it was funded uh, through a um, foundation but it was really worked with 10 students, developing them on the organizing, sending them to college and bringing them back to invest in their community. And mm -hmm. I think even though we don't have a scholarship program anymore, the model that we use is similar. We work with our students to understand how the decision take place in their school, in their community. We ensure that they get the academic that they need. So we provide like homework help, um, college preparation, we ensure that they get what they need in order to succeed in school and beyond school. And we're trying for them to really learn about what is unique about their culture, their community, so they can go get education and come back and give back mm -hmm. to that community. Because I think it is important for us to see that our youth are not just being active in their community when they are in middle school and high school, but after they graduate, we want them to definitely come back. And, and 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 be the model, the role model for those younger generations that are coming behind. So we're using the same methodology um, at this moment, um, and we see in my former youth because I did I did I did youth organizing for twelve years, coming back as teachers now and talking to our students and guiding our students to a future. And I think that's amazing. Um, I see a lot of you know my kids coming back and doing work with us, um, doing organizing with us. Our youth organizer was a youth um, acting student. Uh, my lead organizer was one of the youth who was active in our organization for many years doing youth organizing. So it is amazing that we are kind of unique as an organization on the work that we do, but also the, the, the employee, my staff, is really from our community, right? We grow up in the organization. And they bring all the knowledge they they can gather from outside. Yes, definitely. And that's and I think that's the model from the co-ed program 
is what it brings us back to that community, right? And our investment as an organization, as a nonprofit, is is to lift those people from that community to work for the organization and ensure that because we that really give us a a really sense of a involvement in the community because we already we come from the community we understand the issues better but also it's like when i will give you an example when COVID hit our our communities a lot of nonprofits they work from home right like we were not supposed to be to be out but we as an organization we were in the front line and my staff never say no and even though i say this is voluntarily i don't want to expose you i don't want to expose your family because we didn't know what we were dealing with. All what we know is that people were dying, people were getting sick. And my staff were like, if you are in front, we are with you. And I think that sense is because the whole connection that we already have in, you know, with our community, with our organization. That's beautiful. One last question, and then we will open the floor for questions from the staff. Uh, you briefly mentioned the civil war. And I had a question about how Latino and Hispanics sometimes are thrown like a blanket concept. And that sometimes negates the individual experiences or the collective experiences of the different uh, communities that actually make the Latinos. Could you elaborate a little bit on the migratory waves that actually shape Orlandia, Chirinagua? I, I can definitely say that most of our community are people who have grew up in the rural areas, in the countryside. We really low education um, accomplishment. Um, most of them have not even finished high school um, back home. Um, they come in a really disadvantage um, when we talk about opportunities. That's kind of unique. Um, I think most of us, we have been forced to be here, uh, and it has to do a lot with um, the political initiatives and decisions that United States have taken uh, with other countries, you know, and we can get a little bit more into that, but I can say that uh, a lot of our own people, they don't even, some of them, especially from Guatemala, they don't even speak their language. I mean, they don't speak Spanish, they speak the native um, yeah, language. Right. Um, I, I don't. I don't remember the word that we use for that. But it's interesting to see how unique this community is, because if you will look at community like from Central uh, South America, for example, right, a lot of the people who immigrate come with a really high uh, academic status. But when we look at Central America and who is here, is people who have been in one way or another one first to be here, and it, and we are really kind of unique because it's not like if you are reaching El Salvador, for example, you want to come here just to just to visit. You don't want to stay here. So a lot of our families come with a lot of disadvantage. And we are kind of unique in the way that we are from the countryside, that we don't have higher education. And a lot of them, they don't even know how to read and write in their own language. Um, but it's, that's what it makes it unique um, to the Arlandria community. And what has made it so strong, in a sense. Definitely, right? Because when you land in there and you find a supporting place that, that is there, but also at the same time you find that community sense, then that really make you 
feel strong, that make you really feel like you're part of a community, even though you come from places that didn't have a lot of access to education. Um, you know, but that's that's what it is. It's been very, very interesting to to hear you. I'm going to open the floor so the staff can ask you questions. And thank you very much, Evelyn. I don't, I don't have a question per se, but it's it's a comment because I I, I really relate to what you told, and uh, we experience the same thing when we arrive to this country. So having a network of people that are kind of from your same culture that you sort of inherit a second family when you arrive here is a very well. Uh, it's, a, it's a great thing to have as a safety net when you arrive to a country. So providing that to immigrants is incredible, and I really appreciate it. Man, don't be shy. I wanted to say thanks to you again, Evelyn, for your time, for your attention. I will share if, um, your website with the rest of the team, and I will share Professor Caitlin Moon's article on Chirilagua, because I think it's a, it's a quick, good read, a nice tip, and whatever you want to share with us, articles, things that you you think we need to read, please feel free to do it. I will I will circulate it with the team. Thank you. Oh, we have a question from Christina. Go ahead, Christina. Uh, since these people, uh, sometimes they don't know how to read, uh, they, don't, they don't have a contact or access, what just arrived to this country. How these people approach to this community is by voice to voice, or yeah, it it when we talk about Arlandia, it's really a small community or maybe around three thousand apartments. Um, and what is interesting is that uh, since people have settled settled down so many years ago, and we are so well-known as Shirilawa, when someone is new in the community, it's because they already have someone, probably a friend or a family members to live in the community. Okay. So, and, and they connect those families to resources. So when we have, for example, immigration clinics, we bring a lawyer to give free, you know, uh, um, checking for people who have questions about immigration status. It's interesting because now these days we don't have to make no phone calls. We just post it on our groups, whether it's WhatsApp group, and then you have 50 people outside the next day, right, making line. And it's because they're so connected to each other. Like if mm -hmm. they're doing childcare, for example, like someone in the community know who do childcare. Um, mm -hmm. Because people are so connected one to another. It, it is a small community. It is, it is, they are all connected. And when people immigrate, they always come to a place that they know someone. And, and, and that someone, if they have been there for one year or two years, they already know everything that is going on in that community. Maybe not with details, but at least they know where is the church that provides food? Where is the organization that fights for people's rights? Where is after school programs? You know, they are well, they, they are well informed. Thank you, thank you. Gracias, Evelyn. Right, Lisa had a, you had a question, Lisa, because I know you work with refugees also. So maybe you can. 
I would, I'm Lisa Woodruff. I just, I just want to say I'm interested in getting your website and certainly, and certainly learning more about what you do and what your organization does. Uh, I recently have collaborated with the Department of State on the Afghan refugees coming into parts of Virginia. And um, I, I do as a hobby on the side, a lot of career development, professional development conversations about how to assess and place people. And so I am really motivated to you know, understand the, the the best way to to be to be a good resource in in helping with that. So I am so excited to hear this more information coming. Thank you, thank you so much for coming to us today. This really was wonderful. Yeah, you're welcome. And yeah, just let us know. Um, I know we are sometimes very controversial, and uh, yeah, I was in the quarter, right? Okay. Sometimes <laughs> the issues that we work are not really not everyone is happy with it. Right, um, but I think we have to be honest. Um, we're not going to agree on everything, but I think it's good just to think about creating systematic change that are really have been oppressing our community for for decades, for many years, right? And and I think if we don't speak up, um, then nothing is going to get done. So we don't have to agree on everything, but I think that work needs to be done and someone has to get it done. Maybe we're not all the time in that in that good place, especially with politicians, uh, with people who work for that school district or for the whole district, not just only in Alexandria, because our organization uh, have been able to expand in the five years that I have been executive director, we have expanded our work to South Fairfax in Paro Prince William and Woodbridge. Um, we don't have to agree on everything, but I think on whatever we agree, we should work together. So, you know, any support, any help that you would like to to provide is welcome. If there is anything that we can do to support communities, we will be more than happy to do it too. Resources are limited, but as a nonprofit, but I think um, our work, a lot of people don't want to do it, but I think it's, it's a need in our community. Thanks. It's brilliant. Well, Evelyn, thank you very much for your time. Thank the audience for attending to another Mayo talk. And we really, really appreciate this opportunity to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone. Is anything? Gracias. Gracias. De nada. Bye bye. Gracias.